You're listening to NFT 365, the first daily podcast on NFTs with your host, Fanzo, talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and what the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365, the only daily NFT podcast minting an NFT every day for 365 days. Powered by the ADHD coin at rally.io, here's your host and digital futurist, the ADHD superpowered Brian Fenzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of NFT 365. We are sponsored by the Crypto Business Conference. The Crypto Business Conference is an event for marketers, creators, and entrepreneurs who want to better understand NFTs and Web3 strategy. I think that's just about all of us. So I hope to see you there at that event. You know, and you know, when I think about like wanting to learn more about NFTs and, and Web3 and, and even kind of like broadening this whole space, you know, no question this buying an NFT every day for a year has taught me a lot of things. But it, one of the things that it also kind of falls into is it also has kind of forced me into having some habits and things that, that maybe others don't have to have, right? And so we're going to talk a little bit about like that as a whole in this, this episode around security and understanding like kind of like the different nuances of this space. And, and not everyone that, you know, uh, jumps into NFTs should needs to mint an NFT, but not everyone also needs to sell an NFT. And sometimes there's NFTs that you're just gonna be holding because the uh, like that long term value, or or they're doing something bigger um, than themselves. And I wanted to give a you know for today's one, uh, you know we minted this for it's our mint number two forty eight, uh, and it is the venues the NFT venues is the name of the uh, NFT, and it's actually from uh, you know. A couple of the founders of the project are, are founders of other NFT projects. One of them happens to be in our, in our collection as well, which is the uh, Nonco Ducks. Um, and so the Nonco Ducks are also um, one of those projects that we minted and is part of the collection. And that founder of that project happens to be involved um, in this project as well. Uh, and I love the idea of coming together, you know, uh, bringing, you know, creating an NFT to bring together people that want to really, you know, kind of change the way web two habits, you know, kind of exist. And one of them can be like, how do you reinvent the hospitality space? Or how do you change the way we think about, uh, you know, entertainment and business relationships in, you know, everything from, uh, you know, nightclubs to venues. Uh, and a lot of, there's a lot of like middle person, middle man, uh, wasted money, wasted time. There's also a lot of like legacy things that exist in a lot of these areas like hospitality, um, that can be really disrupted. And so this is the Project that we minted uh, for 248, and and I'll have to say, you know, when I'm recording this this episode of the podcast, you know, what had happened in the last uh, 24 hours was a very popular site that many of us use to gather um, a lists of people that want to buy, you know, to like register to on the white list or the allow list. Um, to say, hey, we, we're interested in buying this NFT. And of course, if we're selected, we get that early access. Um, the website premint.xyz um, had an exploit. And of course, as soon as this happens, you know, I know my DMs fill up. You know, I not only worked a decade in cybersecurity, but, you know, I was very transparent when my wallet was compromised um, back in March. And, you know, the, the piece of security, like there's elements of security that I love that have 
you know, conversations around and that we believe, I believe we should um, have a, a, a tension realm. But there's also a lot of this that like is the, like security is almost like the thing that's like, oh, if I see someone tweeting that there's a security flaw and this is how you fix it, I'm just going to retweet. And I, I just want to say this, kind of put this out there. When we say do your own damn research, do your own damn research includes every component of this world, right? So even if, if you are reading something and someone is exposing a vulnerability and they're telling you how you need to fix that vulnerability, you have to trust your, that person and do the due diligence to make sure that they're not walking you down another way that could be even make you even have more of an exploit. And I will tell you, like for me, like that is very concerning. Like there is almost like this like weird, I don't even know what, I don't even know what I would call it. There's almost like this like weird attention to be like, if I'm the person that helps, you know, let our discord know that there's an exploit out there, like people will hold me in higher regard. And I'm all for, you know, helping each other and communities looking out for each other. But let's be very, very careful because I, when I think of this from my, you know, my background and I've been to, to Black Hat and DEF CON, I've, you know, many people on my teams uh, that have worked with me over the years have been involved with some of the largest hacks um, in the world, also with some of the largest patches um, in the world as far as patching uh, vulnerabilities. But the truth is in Web3, just like Web2, the number one vulnerability we cannot fix the number one vulnerability in all of this space is humans. Yep. We are the number one vulnerability, right? And the, the, the problem I believe in some of this narrative, some of even the, the teaching and the training of, of uh, security are things like, well, if you get a ledger hardware wallet, then all of your NFTs are safe because they're stored on that little USB drive. Well, breaking news, nothing is ever stored on your hardware wallet. And we're going to talk a little bit about hot, hot wallet, cold wallet, those difference. This is just a, 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 another layer of security, but it is actually not taking your NFTs off of the blockchain. Now, when I hear people kind of sharing that narrative, part of the problem with that is there's a false sense of security that is often given. And it's very much like the, I mean, to me, it's, it's, it's like telling people sometimes, you know how you protect your house? You get a second deadbolt on your front door. But nobody tells people that they should probably have their garage door secured because most people, when the power goes out, I can open your garage door without having you know, much effort to it. So even if you have two deadbolts on your front door, if your garage is still a vulnerability, it doesn't matter how many deadbolts you put on the front door. And so that also happens to be in the idea of like a hardware wallet versus a software wallet or a hot wallet versus a cold wallet. Now, the terms hot and cold, um, really what hot just means is that if something is actively connected. So people sometimes kind of take that the wrong way because here, here's the thing. If I, if I change the unlock settings on my Ledger hardware wallet, if I changed it to say, leave it unlocked for 12 hours and I plug it in with the little USB-C cord and I unlock my, my wallet, right? And I say, turn on blind signing, signing. Technically, my wallet is now actively connected. Now, it's not, a, not, it's not the same level because there is one more layer of security where I have to actually type in the, the digits that are uh, you know, on my actual device. But there, that's a big concern for me. That's one that we just have to kind of think about um, as a whole. And so I, I want to kind of start that off by here. But the other part of this is we have to really just respect 
that there is so much money at play right now in the NFT crypto space that the hackers and the bad people doing bad things are willing to deliver very elaborate, long gate uh, schemes to exploit us. And one of them happens to be the Axie of Infinity um, exploit, which many people know Axie Infinity was one of the lar- is one of the largest um, gaming uh, NFT you know, metaverse plays that are out there. And they had a massive exploit. But we, they just recently actually shared what happened. And I mean, I'm just going to tell you what happened was they, they posted a fake company on LinkedIn with fake jobs that they targeted those that worked for Axie Affinity. And then what they did was they did multiple interviews with these people, multiple interviews, like I'm telling you, multiple interviews. Like, I mean, think, think about this, right? This was a long play. And then each time on the interview, they were building rapport with that person saying like, we want to test you to make sure your developer skills are at this level. And then they did another one. And then they did the third interview. And then what they did was they said, you know what? We are going to hire you. Here's the PDF that has all of your information for your job and all the things that you need to know about, you know, uh, getting hired on this new company. Unfortunately, baked into that PDF was the exploit that gave them access to his machine that ended up giving them access to the keys to the kingdom on the back end of that project. But we have to like, I mean, I I tip my cap in a way to the, the hacker that's there. And so sometimes there's like this assumption that, you know, to get hacked you're an idiot or only people that don't take their time are getting exploited. I just want to be truthful out there that like there, there's bigger things at play here. Right. And, and in, in many cases you might, and I, and I always hear this, Brian, like, yeah, but why would they hack my wallet? I only have three NFTs in there, or I don't have a lot of crypto in there. But remember a lot of things that happen in, when it comes to security is that it's all about kind of getting additional dominoes, right? And getting, you know, maybe your individual wallet is not like valuable in, in its sense of having one. But what if they were able to exploit your wallet and use your wallet as a pass-through and then all of the gated things were like, no, this wallet's a, an approved person that we know of and they're using your wallet kind of as a, a, a Ponzi or as a kind of like, a, you know, a really just as a proxy moving things around. So I say all of that because the Axie Xfinity exploit, now that we know about it, like originally people were like, man, they need to do better with getting their employees to turn on two-factor authentication. I mean... When we say things like that, it's almost like the, the, we want to like kind of label the, the space in that way. So with all that being said, when it comes down to wallets and wallet security, you know, it's very similar to our email address or it's very similar to um, you know, a lot of like, let's say our banking password, right? Like if you are someone that is using the same password for your Gmail as you are your banking account, you are... Your, your ability, you're like the heightened level of you getting exploited is high, right? Because now you're, you're giving someone, there, there's your, your uh, access for someone like, I don't have to hack your bank. I can hack your Gmail. And I actually, I don't even have to hack your Gmail. What if I was able to hack a website that made you log in with your Gmail? Because a lot of times that's what people do. That's why they want your Instagram password. Like they don't really care about your Instagram account that they believe if they can find your password of your Instagram account, they can probably log into about 30 other things that have um, that same password that have actually things of value in them. So the thing that we always want to be looking towards is how do we mitigate or eliminate a single point of failure? 
And what I mean by that is we, we, if you are clicking on one button and you accidentally click on the one button wrong, we want to make sure that if you do that, because it's a high likelihood many of us will do that, that what is vulnerable below that is very limited. So the idea of a, a hot wallet is the MetaMask or pretty much any of the wallets that are, that are in your browser tab or many of them have them on our phone. Now, people talk a lot about like, you know, what does that mean? Like, should I not have it in my browser? Should I not, or should I only have it on my phone? Or Brian, my phone is more vulnerable. Well, the truth is, the majority of us are not going into places that are going to have the level of hackers that are going to exploit your phone. Like I've minted a lot of NFTs from my mobile device. While at the same time, I understand for some that could feel more risky, right? And, and, and in many ways, I can tell you it's not more risky, um, it, but it's just one of those things that like we have these like assumptions like, oh my goodness, well, doesn't it, because I have Bluetooth turned on, doesn't it mean that there's a higher likelihood that someone could exploit that? No. But the things that we have to think about is that within a lot of these tools, a lot of the things that we're, we're kind of being told to manage or look at are not what we've normally ever had to deal with, right? Like the, the concept of a seed phrase. Now, a seed phrase is that it's the master key to your wallet. And anyone that has it can do anything they want with your wallet. The only time you should ever have to use it. Like I, I was actually thinking about this today. My main wallet that's that, that is installed right now on my on my computer, I've only had a you I've only had to pull out my seed phrase twice. So since I installed this wallet and I got my seed phrase, and I went and put it into my you know uh, my security box. I've only had to pull it out twice. One time I had to pull it out because I wanted to actually install it on my phone and I had upgraded my phone operating system from scratch and I didn't want um, and I had a completely brand new install, so I needed to import it that way. The second time that I needed to actually do that was that I was I was actually you know trying to load up another browser on my computer and I wanted to actually have that as the original um, you know wallet that was installed. But for the most part, that seed phrase should be something that you're not even thinking about using, because a lot of people when they say they've been hacked, what they probably have been done is they probably have been social engineered or they've been exploited through clicking on the wrong link or they were you know, you know kind of taken advantage of to give their their seed phrase but technically they weren't hacked right because uh, i mean for the most part a majority of the things that are happening in the nft security side are not quote unquote hacks they're ultimately you know uh, they're finding a vulnerability and then they're either helping you as the human um, activate that vulnerability or they're preying on others to kind of get you to do the same thing, right? And so the thing we have to think about it is it doesn't matter if you have a hot wallet or a cold wallet. If you click on a button that gives people access to your wallet, no matter what, they're going to get access to your wallet. So it comes down to kind of understanding some of these like nuances on how to avoid scams. And if you think about it, like back when we first started doing online banking, Right. There were there's a there was a lot of people that were like, oh, my goodness, you know, like you need you if you're logging into your bank, you know, make sure nobody's home at your house or make sure that um, you that you you log out of your screen or you clear your cookies or whatever that may be. Well, the thing about that is like if your if your computer is exploited. I get access to whatever's on your computer. And if you're using a password saving uh, app that doesn't have another layer of security, guess what? I get all of that. 
like you know what's really funny is that um you know the ios i'm, I'm using the beta um, operating system for Macintosh right now. They just rolled out the new beta. I installed it the other day. Might end up regretting it installing it because it's uh, it still has some pat some some work they need to do on the back end. But I'm a geek for testing out the new things. But what they've actually done is within your photo album, they have actually given you security components to where you can actually say. I must have my fingerprint reader or use my, you know, my retinal, my retina scan to unlock like my hidden folder or recently deleted folder on my, in my photos on my computer. And you might be saying like, why would they do that, Brian? Like maybe it's, you know, cause we want to protect our, our, our naughty photos that are in our hidden folder. Hey, I understand how that works, but like, why would it be the related, the deleted folder? Well, part of the reason is people will oftentimes not clear their deleted um, you know, the, the trash bin on your computer or in your iPhoto. And so you'll take a picture of like your credit card or your, your password um, and you'll go, oh, I'm just going to delete it. Well, in your settings, you say, hold on to deleted things for forever until I empty the deleted bin. Well, if you don't ever empty the deleted bin, guess what I'm going to go exploit first whenever I get access to your computer, right? That's so, so, so Apple is putting some of those things in. Now, the interesting thing about that is that sounds great, but guess what? A lot of people don't even have on the fact that their computer is locked. I know probably some of you that are listening right now, you don't have to be honest with me. You can keep this to yourself, but you're like, you know what, Brian, my computer stays in my house a majority of the time. So I don't, I, I just click on the button and it, it unlocks, logs me in automatically. I don't even have to do anything. Well, Hey, that's fine because the way that you're looking at the risk is that the computer's not going anywhere. And if people that are already in my house, I trust them to be in front of my computer, you're, you're taking, you're owning that kind of risk. And so we have to think of that in this whole NFT space. It's partially why for me, I get a little frustrated when I hear people, like a lot of people that are, are security pros will either overburden people with so many things they have to look out for that they end up doing nothing or that they just want to quit because they think it's too too much work and they're not tech savvy. The truth is you do not need to be tech savvy to protect yourself in this space. You, the truth is that it actually doesn't really come down to technology. It comes down to understanding the, the, that the things you're clicking on, you should know what they're about and you should know that if you're having certain things unlocked, it's exposing something, right? So like on my, on my computer, right, for anyone that's using it, like a Chrome browser plugin, like one of the things that I know is that I sometimes will get a little bit of FOMO. I'll get a little excited. I want to click into something, right? We'll, we'll be like, oh my goodness, this NFT just dropped. I need to go buy it. Well, on my MetaMask, I actually have my, my timeout set to very low. So every time just about, that I need to go back to my MetaMask, it makes me put in my password. Now, that might sound redundant to some people because they're like, Brian, that's ridiculous. But for me, it actually helps me with my FOMO because then I slow down. I'm like, oh yeah, which wallet do I want to connect? And then I have to look through my wallets and, that I have in that browser and figure that out. Now, one of the things that most people have asked uh, me questions about was, Brian, you talk a lot about having multiple wallets. Does having, is having multiple wallets the same of having multiple accounts within one wallet? And the answer is no. But in some cases, it still provides you a layer of security that might be good enough for you. And what I mean by that is, if your wallet does not have, you know, if, for, for it to be secure, you have to separate the worlds, which means 
if, it, if it's truly a wallet, not an account, it's going to have its own seed phrase. But if you're like, well, Brian, I have a seed phrase for my main wallet, but then I decided like I needed a, a wallet for like minting. So I hit add account and now I have a new account. It has a, it has a, um, a, a public address that, you know, uh, that I can share out. Well, what that is, is it is a separate wallet that is in your account, but it doesn't have a separate seed phrase. So if someone gets that seed phrase for that whole wallet, they can have access to both accounts. But if you click on the wrong button and you give and, and you uh, tra- you hit transfer on one of the accounts, people can't get access to the other account, right? So there isn't like a way to jump that unless you give them the keys. So when you think about this, like at a bigger, um, you know, in a bigger uh, exploit way. If you are very confident that you will not give out your seed phrase, you will not enter it in, you will not fall for the seed phrase side, technically, you could just add accounts underneath of your MetaMask, and you are adding a security, right? They're different wallets. They have different um, addresses. Um, and you're, you're, you're a step better because you're also um, mitigating what I talked about at the beginning, that initial um, you know, risk that I talked about. Because remember... One of the things that we have to just be careful about is if you click on a button that says, you know, and, and, I, and I just want to kind of give these out for people that are you know, kind of thinking about it, that you can, you can give people access by transferring, giving them transfer access to your wallet. You can give them token approval, which is uh, you know, a token approved, which in some cases will give people access to drain everything in that individual wallet. Or you give someone seed phrase access, which means they got, they got the whole keys and they could drain you whenever they, whenever they wanted. They don't even have to do that at any, at any you know, time because once someone has your seed phrase, there is no way for you to pull back or lock them out or prevent them from doing something. Now, if you give someone access through a token approved contract, you can actually go and, and to a, a site called revoke.cash and there's actually another um, gem.xyz is actually building uh, a revoke component into their tool as well. But you can actually revoke that token access to your wallet and that would stop them from having access. But if someone has your seed phrase, revoking permissions does nothing. Let me say that again. If someone has your seed phrase, revoking permissions does nothing. And so this is where we have to think about this idea of like, what, what is the risk that we're, what are the things that we could get exploited for? Now, the places we could get exploited are just about everywhere. Uh, I think I said it on our past episode, but I've had four fake Instagram accounts in the last 60 days. And I am not that famous or worth spoofing, but whoever is doing it, I, I give them kudos. They put a lot of work in there because they even match my number of followers. They screen grab my archived pictures so that when someone opens it, it looks just like mine, except the username has an underscore at the end. What they've also done is they've got really creative where they don't just give you a link in the DM. They say they they have like a detailed paragraph that sounds like it's coming from me. Hey, Brian, or hey, hey, friend, you know how I'm, I'm all in on crypto these days. I'm curious, have you thought about getting into DeFi more, right? And you're like, oh, Brian, I haven't talked to you in a while. Thanks for asking. I haven't thought about DeFi. And then they like define DeFi and it's like, there might, I might have an online course for you. Would that be something you're interested in, right? And you're like, well, actually, I haven't had much time for it. And then you're like, sure, send me the link, right? And at this point, you're like, hey, I'm, Fanzo's hooking me up. Well, the truth is like that exploit is actually very, that's a social engineering component of their building trust through DM and trying to prevent you from having a red flag from going to see it. The username is different. And so this is where we have to be just, if, if something sounds good, too good to be true, 
I would probably go lock my wallet and figure out that it's probably uh, a hack or an exploit. If I get a DM out of nowhere on a narrative from someone that has never cold DM me before, more than likely they've been exploited or maybe they just went to a, a mastermind boot camp from some marketer that's teaching them how to cold call. The other thing that I want us to think about is that the, the places that we can be vulnerable at are really any time that we are, we are going beyond signing something within our wallet. And so I will tell you, for me, that like component of this is that you know, any time your wallet is connecting to a website, you have to think to yourself, what is the benefit or what is the reason for them asking me to connect my wallet? And I will tell you, that is a problem. I do not like websites that auto-connect wallets. That's been a pet peeve of mine for a long time, right? Like that's, um, you know, it's very similar to websites that used to auto-prompt you for your password immediately. Like, not a fan. Um, The other part of this that we have to think about is that most of the exploits are happening when we are, we're doing things that are not, let's just say, our normal habits, right? So we're going to a new website to mint an NFT, Well, where do we get the URL for that website? Because one of the exploits can be they're going to send you to a website that looks like the real website, but really isn't, right? And so some of them happen with .ios and .coms, right? So like if if the if you know if we're launching an NFT, right, superpowered NFTs, and I'm like, hey, the Mint website is mint.superpoweredNFT.io. Well. An exploiter might create a website that is superpoweredNFT.com and put that in there in the, you know, in the discords and say, hey, did everybody see this project's minting? And when you go to it, it looks very similar. And then you say connect wallet. But this time when it says connect wallet, what it's asking you is not saying connect wallet to mint. It's saying connect wallet to give me access to transfer all of your NFTs out or give approve this token, uh, you know, approve this token so that I can now have access. And so that is where that exploit kind of lives. So for people that are, are, are especially brand new, I think minting on a website is, is maybe the thing that we kind of we don't do at the beginning. Right. Like maybe we should be buying our first NFT via a marketplace now. That doesn't mean that marketplaces all of a sudden have all figured this all out because remember, whenever I got exploited, um, the only tab that was open on my screen was OpenSea. Now, the exploit was a little bit different because it was in within my browser, not within um, the site that I was on. But the, we, we also don't want to give people like a false sense of security like every marketplace um, is created equal, right? Because it's, it's definitely different on different places. The other thing that we also have to recognize is that if you're, when you think about the, the wallet that you're using, when people ask, like, Brian, when should I think about using a separate wallet? And the, the old advice used to be, well, if you have like six figures worth of NFTs, you should probably buy a hardware wallet. Or if you have, if you're starting to buy NFTs to flip more, you should probably have a burner wallet. Here's my, my answer to this. My answer to this is when you get to a point that the thing that you're buying, that if there's a risk layer to it, if the thing that you're buying is not worth exposing what you've already bought that is stored in the wallet, you might want to just have a second account or a second wallet. And I know that there's gas fees, but I will tell you, for the most part, you know, I transfer, I don't know, 25 to 30 NFTs a week, every single week. And on average, I pay between, I mean, sometimes it's like 80 cents, but for the most part, I'd say it's $2.40 to about $6 for transferring an NFT between a wallet. 
So for me, that that little amount of money is worth every time minting it into a wallet that has less in there. And so if I mint it and, I, and the NFT gives them their safe, I just hit transfer. I transfer it to my main wallet and I pay the extra, you know, $4 or whatever that may be. Now, the problem that can come into this is that if we all of a sudden don't put those wallets in the same places that, you know, we might want to use, now we, now we have a problem, right? Because there are people that will tell you like, oh, well, you should only use... You should use a separate browser every time you buy an NFT. Now, the reason they're saying that is because they believe that you opening that second, that extra browser and not using it for like your Gmail and other things will, it's kind of like almost like another layer of security. The problem with that that I've found is a lot of times like Discord, like if you're in Discord, you're looking at official links, it's going to open that link in your official browser. So for a lot of people, they're like, oh, I just got it. It's in my official browser. I went through the whole process. You know what? I'm not going to go over to my other browser. I'm just going to buy the NFT right here, right? And so we just have to kind of like recognize some of the, like some of the advice that we're hearing. Although it, it's great, it great and it might add uh, another layer that, to prevent us from uh, making a mistake, it, A, it doesn't make it foolproof. And B, having extra layers in some cases force us to just take a shortcut because we don't want to go through all of that project. Now, the other part of this that we have to just realize is that there's another component of like, what should I do if my NFT has been, if my wallet has been exploited, right? And so this, this advice can, will, will vary based on what type of exploit has happened, right? So if you have just hit transfer uh, NFT, and, and you authorize the transfer of your uh, NFT out, there's really nothing else you have to do, right? You, um, the problem, the, the downside is like, you can't get that NFT back, right? Once it's on the blockchain and it's sent to another wallet, it's in that wallet. You can't like reverse that. But a transfer, when you authorize a transfer, it is a one-time event. Now, the difference between a transfer and a token approval is that if you can, if you approve a token, depending on what is in that token contract, it could say, I want, I get access to all of these NFTs or move all of the NFTs that are worth this amount of money or whatever that may be. Now, if you are exploited via a token exploit, this is when you can go to a site like revoke.cash. And if you revoke that tokens access, it'll stop them being able to have access to your NFTs at that moment. I know someone in our community had that happen to them recently. I, I feel for them. Um, you know, they had reached out and said, hey, Brian, thanks for your you know, advice in your video where you broke down this because although I lost these like six NFTs, I at least knew that I should go over and revoke this token access and it saved the rest of my wallet. And as much as I like to say that made me feel good, it did not make me feel good because I still makes me sick that someone lost the NFTs that they had. But at least they did, you know, they were able to kind of mitigate that. But in the bigger picture of this whole piece is if, if the things that we are doing, the most risky things that we're doing, if we're doing that with a wallet that doesn't have a lot of valuable things in there, that's actually pretty much the most risk adverse play that we can have. So let me say that again. If the wallet that we are connecting most often to the quote-unquote riskiest of, of uh, you know, opportunities, if that wallet has the least amount of value in it, that's the best way to protect our valuable assets. Now, I will tell you, like that sounds like super easy, 
but a lot of things that we have to do in this space. Like if we have to um, stake an NFT, if we have to, you know, um, collect an airdrop or we have to update an NFT, we oftentimes have to connect the wallet that has our NFTs in them, right? So the, it's very easy for me to give that advice, but then at the same time, we, we have to recognize the other side of this. Now, with your hardware wallet, right, with the hardware wallet, and I really wish they wouldn't have made this look like a USB stick, these, these hardware wallets, because the NFTs aren't there. I mentioned this before, right? They are still secured on the blockchain, but instead of when, if, you know, like the main difference for this, right? When, when I click on a, a button to say transfer NFT, if I do that inside of my MetaMask, it's saying this person unlocked their MetaMask wallet with their password, and they're now hitting transfer. It goes to the blockchain and transfers it. If I hit transfer inside of my MetaMask and my NFT um, is gated with my hardware wallet, what it does is it goes to transfer it and says, oh, hold on. To be able to do that, you must connect this hardware device and type in your PIN on that device to then authorize it, right? So if you notice, it just adds that extra layer of a step. But the truth is, if I click accept on my ledger, my ledger is no more secure than me clicking accept transfer on the MetaMask other than the fact that made me do it one more step one more time. So we, we do have to kind of think about that when we're, we're going through um, you know, these different steps and kind of what's out there. The other part of this is that you know, the, the, the component around you know, the idea of like phishing and social engineering, right? We also have to be just be very careful on people that want to trade NFTs or people that are like, hey, um, rather than me sending you ETH, like, can I send you three NFTs and we'll go use this website, right? Like, it's kind of like Craigslist versus eBay in those early days, right? Like, on eBay, we at least knew they had to have an eBay registered account that was connected to their PayPal account, right? So if I was, if I was selling something to someone on eBay, I at least knew that that was like my risk was like, well, if, they don't, if the transaction doesn't go through, at least PayPal um, can reimburse me. But then Craigslist came out and said, why are we giving eBay fees? Just meet me at the local Walmart parking lot and let's trade things in the back of the, you know, I'll pull up my truck next to yours and let's, let's buy our and sell our goods that way easily. Now, that sounds like a, a great fix, except people were getting held at gunpoint or people that were getting robbed when they would show up to make those transactions. And the thing about that is we, we are very vulnerable when we are dealing with other humans even more so than we are when we are dealing with technology. Like weirdly enough, we let our guard down because we're like, you know what? I've I've been on Twitter Twitter with this person. We've we've traded tweets back and forth, and they want to trade NFTs. You know what? I trust them. I'll, I'll I'll do what they asked. When we realize that like they're no, they should be no more trusted and probably less trusted than a a website that we've gone to a lot that we know is kind of building in those, some of those trust things. So the, the last part I want to kind of share on this, on this piece is that, you know, it's also very you know valuable to not only do your own damn research on like what you're clicking on the website that you're going to, but I would also start to think about like, what are the different ways that I can monitor what the actions are or what other people are doing? Right. And so one of them can be like, get better at reading EtherScan if you're doing this on Ethereum. Another idea can be, let, let's learn how to read smart contracts at a level that we could then see what is in a contract to know what we're getting ourselves into at a, at a deeper level. Now, I'm one that believes that we need to have better regulation around smart contracts because 
we shouldn't require the average person to have to read within a smart contract to see what they're getting into. But this is part of that early adoption phase. The other thing that I just want to kind of put out there is that, you know, there is a difference between, you know, those that are trying to exploit your crypto versus those that are trying to exploit your NFTs. Because the truth is, in both scenarios, the hacker wants to get the, 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 you know, the money, the value, right, out of it, right? They, they don't want your NFT because they like the art. They want your NFT because they believe they can flip it, get that Ethereum, you know, send the Ethereum to a, a, um, a swap mechanism that will then hide where it came from and then you know, send it to their exchange so they can take it out and have that crypto. So with that being said, you know, ultimately, your crypto exposure is even higher than your NFTs. But for whatever reason, NFTs get a lot of like the, like the, I don't, I don't even say the, the media coverage around exploits. But from a hacker's perspective, they would much rather just hack your wallet, get your crypto and be done with it. And so the, the, the NFTs that are usually most vulnerable are the ones that have high volume transactions. Because if there are not a lot of people buying and selling NFTs and they steal that NFT, they're not going to be able to sell it in a timely manner. And for them, that risk is too great. The other part of this is that every tool and every software that is built to make our lives easier is also now another layer of possible vulnerability. So with premint.xyz that, you know, there, there's a bunch of other projects. Um, one of them that I uh, checked out is uh, haymint.xyz. So haymint.xyz is a free version of, of premint.xyz. Uh, but the reason I, I, I put that out is there are a lot of tools that are going to have similar um, functionality. It's just like this in every, every sector that exists with digital SaaS-based tools is there will be tools that will have similar functionality that will be at, available for us to use at our disposal. But what we have to start thinking about is like as project founders, every time we use one of these tools, we have to say, how is it, exploit- how, how is it you know, exposing us and how is it exposing others? The last thing I'll just say is that, you know, there is something to be said about, you know, just taking that extra time before clicking on any links, before clicking on any buttons that have anything to do with your wallet. If we could just slow down a little bit on a lot of these steps, we won't have any, you know, nearly any of these problems. The other part of it is just because you've used a website or a tool a lot doesn't mean that you should blank, blanketly trust that tool or that website. Like there's one of the analytics tools that I've used for, for forever. And out of nowhere, when I went there the other day, it popped up for a, a wallet transaction uh, signing that it's never done before. And I immediately went cancel. I went into my connected sites. I disconnected it. And then I went to look through the, the paperwork, the, the, their update and say, why were they all of a sudden now asking for my, my wallet connection when they weren't doing that before? Right. And, and that's just something to be aware of, right? Something just be uh, hyper aware of. The last thing I'll just say is there, there are NFTs. There are things of value to us that we don't plan on. We don't really need access to, um, all the time. Right. So if, if that's the case, right, if it's a pass or it's something that gives you and, and you don't need access to it all the time, I, I would definitely, you know, factor in getting a hardware wallet like a ledger and we'll, and we'll put a link in there for, for ledger, you know, for anyone that wants to check out ledger, I have no agreement or partnership with them. It's just my preferred, you know, one that I use personally. Um, but I will say that the, the piece of this that is, you know, still most important is that if you gave me 
the seed phrase for your ledger wallet, I would have access to your ledger wallet. I could actually just go import it into an existing ledger that I have, and I now have access to your ledger. So let's also just be aware that you know, when we're adding layers of security, we as humans still have to protect the things that, are, that make us the most vulnerable. The last thing I'll say is, you know, there are also exploits that are going to live within QR codes. They're going to live within, um, you know, uh, a Google Doc or in within even a Google Drive or even a Dropbox link or even a, um, you know, uh, a Notion uh, link. I know I, I was sent a Notion link the other day. And as soon as I clicked on the Notion link and I was like, wait a second, there are a lot of hot links in this Notion document that I don't know where they're calling or what they're calling. I don't want to click on one of them um, and have them, you know, exploit me. And right. So I took that actual link, opened it up in like an incognito uh, browser tab, just so that I, I knew that it was you know, going to give me a little bit, a little bit less of, of connection to what it was available. So I know this can like overwhelm. There's a lot of things going on here, but when it comes down to it, we really just have to realize that like we as humans are the number one vulnerability. And we have to understand that when we're thinking about the things that we're doing. And if we can put in steps that help protect us from ourselves, that is a great spot to start. It's a great place for us to start thinking. And then we also have to realize that it is part of the risk. As we continue to innovate, as more tools come into this market, there's also going to be more places for people to exploit or to, the, to, to be able to take advantage of. And for the most part, they wait till those tools have more adoption rate and then they exploit it, right? We don't know when someone actually found the vulnerability in this tool. They could have found it three months ago. They just waited till it was being used by a, a, a you know a certain amount of a, a higher percentage of people, so that the the their ability to to get the most exploits was actually higher. So just kind of keep that part up. Um, I think security for security's sake is also part of the problem. Uh, I think we also just have to recognize that not everybody giving security advice is doing it in the best interest of, of you or the Web3 space. There are some people that their goal is to make Web3 technology feel so overwhelming that you have to hire them to be your consultant and do the work for you. Those people exist. There are other people that use kind of like bullying and scare tactics to make you realize, like, you know what, maybe I should just hire someone to do this. Or maybe I can only trust this one person who's exploiting everybody. But at the same time, like, we have to do our research on those people and where they're coming from. When I got a whole bunch of messages this morning about you know, the exploit, I didn't click on one link or one tweet. I went and did my own research to track down and say, okay, what is the vulnerability? What do we know so far? What is the brand put out there? And I will give premint.xyz a, a, a little kudos. You know, they did put out publicly on their Twitter that they're, that they're, they're looking into it. And then they did put out there some of the steps that you can go to mitigate, mitigate that. And that's a step further than a lot of other you know, brands and projects and, 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 and companies have been doing, right? I, I believe over-communication for tools and tech in these type of scenarios is essential. And when I see companies and brands not doing that, I don't even want to use them, even if they patch the vulnerability and things are okay moving forward. So hopefully that helped you. Um, we'll include some links in this uh, episode of some of our past episodes that I talk about other components uh, of security. Um, I talk a little bit about like what I learned right after my wallet was compromised. Um, I also address some of like kind of like the 
the other layers of, of the wallet. But I thought this was a, a important episode for where we're at right now. Um, it's also a great time where the market's down. Maybe you're not buying as many NFTs right now is a great time to learn, you know, research more on creating a, a second wallet. Right. And, and if you want to create a second wallet on your computer that, you know, that without having to unlock, you know, without having to log out of like your main Google Chrome, you could also download another browser. I like the Brave browser. Um, I use the Brave browser as well. So you could just go to you know, brave.com, download that browser, and you could create your second MetaMask wallet with your new seed phrase um, in your Brave browser. And now then you have your Chrome browser with one wallet and your Brave browser with another wallet. But there's lots of those couple options. We'll probably cover a little bit more of those um, you know, in future episodes. And as always, you can jump into our Discord. We often have uh, discussions around like best practices and always open uh, to answer people's questions as they kind of come through uh, the space. Of course, learning about NFTs and Web3 is what the uh, Crypto Business Conference uh, is all about. And that's what they're doing you know, at the event. And I'm excited to have them as, you know, as a sponsor. I will be there you know, speaking at that event. It'll be an event that you know, I'm excited to be a part of. And one of the neat things is they're doing definitely different than a lot of Web3 NFT events. Uh, there's no panels, only solo presentations. So they're really trying to get up there, you know, thought leaders and those that are, are giving kind of like actionable um, advice so that you can learn from that person and then go take that and turn that into action rather than, you know, a lot of Web3 um, events are really panel driven. And I, I, for one, I like some panels and I like some solo presentations. It's, a lot of it can be different depending on who you are, but uh, kind of nice to have that, to, you know, if, if you're someone that um, kind of dials into those solo presentations, definitely check out socialmediaexaminer.com slash NFT365. And last but not least, I'll just leave you with this is that, you know, I mentioned that we as humans are the number one security flaw. We're the number one, we're the number one vulnerability. No technology, no, you know, hardware wallet will fix us as humans from who we are and how we, how we, how we operate. The thing you have to recognize is that if you do get exploited, it is not speaking like badly of you. And it, I don't want people to take that internally. And I don't want you to give up. I want you to, to, to recognize that it can happen to the best of us. It happened to me. Um, and I worked a decade in cybersecurity for the, the Department of Defense. And you know, I, I'm a human just like everyone else. And the, the last part of that that I'll say is that it doesn't make it feel any better. And I know that if you are exploited or you, you do feel like, hey, I, I did something wrong or, or something of mine is stolen, it is something that feel, it, it, it feels as though that we were violated. And that violation should not be overlooked or dusted off or been like, oh, you're an idiot for clicking there. You should have known better. And I think like I ask all of us as a community, let's have more grace for those that are you know, sharing that they might have got exploited or they're opening themselves up and, and asking for advice and tips because um, you never know when you're going to be in that spot. And uh, as speaking from personal uh, experience, it sucks. And when, so, when people are making you feel bad or, or you know, blaming you or, or calling you out, like it's not a, uh, it doesn't make the scenario any better. It doesn't help anyone in the, in the gate. And I feel like we can be better than that um, as, a, as a group, as a community. So until tomorrow, my friends, make it a great day. Cheers.